Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. So many things that are so important to the truth of the gospel that yet within pulpits today, within what is called the Christian church of today, that they're saying, well, that's not really important. That really didn't happen. No, that's not true. No, Jesus didn't really say that. And they've cut and they've sliced and they've diced and they've diluted and they've made the word of God like a, like a hunk of Swiss cheese so that they've done away with the supernatural. They've done away with the miraculous. They've done away with those things that they can't explain. And they say, there's the gospel. And no, it's not. Because they've taken the supernatural, they've taken the power out of the gospel. We can't do that. We can't take the supernatural out of the Bible and expect to advance the kingdom of God. Yet much of the church as we know it has done that very thing. As we get into today's teaching with Pastor David, We'll hear how people throughout history have done away with or ignored scriptures pertaining to the supernatural. We simply cannot ignore the supernatural and expect to take back territory from the devil. The gospel advances through the supernatural power of the Word of God. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message entitled, A Modern Church in Ancient Times. Indeed, as though I'm, though I'm absent in body but present in spirit, I've already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed. And in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you've gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a lot there that we'll look at when we get there, but you need to understand just the, the absolute appalling uh, 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 understanding that Paul has. Man, I can't believe it. You, you, you guys have this going on? It's not the church that I gave birth to five years ago. Can you imagine the ripping of Paul's heart? As, that, that's what's going on outside your church walls. That's what's going on in the city. That's what's going on with the lost. And yet, now here, you guys have this going on, and you're puffed up about it. Puffed up? Well, yeah, because we preach grace here. We preach grace. And, you know, we're not saved by works. We preach grace. And what? So anything and everything goes? Absolutely not. Absolutely. And Paul draws it to the line. He says, you know what? Next time you guys meet, you better meet in the Spirit. You better know that my Spirit is there with you. And in the name of Jesus, you need to cast that person out of your fellowship. Now, again, he talks about the fact uh, that, you know, we... He's bringing this because this one is saying that he is a member of the body of Christ. He's saying that he's a brother in Christ, and he's living this way openly. And Paul says, no, if you're part of the body of Christ, you don't live that way openly. And if you're living that way openly, then don't declare yourself to be part of the body of Christ. They thought that they were demonstrating grace, but actually what they were doing, they were just simply allowing 
sin to continue to grow. Some of the others we find over in chapter 6, it seems as though they were were very possibly uh, partakers of the uh, pagan temple prostitutes. Okay, Is that a gentle enough way to put it? He says in chapter 6, verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that man commits is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Paul is very adamant about this thing. I mean, that kind of lifestyle was rampant in the world around them. I mean, that's what Corinth was all about. I mean, you want a good time, go to Corinth, you know, and nobody will look down on you. You can go and, you know, just be as wild and crazy as you want. All the, check your morals at the door because once you enter into the gates of Corinth, they don't matter anymore. That's what was going on in the city. And he says, and that's going on in the church? He says, no, those things shouldn't be. And he drives his home actually over and over again, several places in the book of 1 Corinthians. Because, again, the importance of this, and we'll look at that deeper when we get there, continued immorality that, that was going on with them. It also seemed as though some of the church had become pretty vengeful toward each other, but un, not only unloving, but even to the point of, of venging, avenging each other. Uh, they were bringing lawsuits against, look at, still in chapter 6, just back up a little bit. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, and again, I love the words that Paul uses. He says, dare any of you, dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? In essence, you know what he's saying? Are you kidding me? You're actually taking a brother or a sister to a secular court? Rather than keeping it within the household of faith, going to the leadership and saying, hey, you know, this is what's going on. I don't want to, I don't want to drag this stuff to the, to the world. We're part of the body of Christ, and, and I want to bring it to the leadership. And again, just as the word says, man, you, you've got a problem with a brother. First of all, you go to them individually yourself. And if they won't listen to you, then you go and you, you, you bring somebody else with you as a witness of it. And said, man, you, you, you've wronged me. You, you've dealt wrongly with me. And so you've got two brothers or a couple of sisters going together to, again, because the whole idea of this is reconciliation. The whole idea is, is keeping the body of Christ together, not, not ripping and tearing arms off and limbs off. Well, you cheated me, man, I'm, I'm cutting you out. But the idea, no, let, let's bring this thing before the Lord and in a spirit of reconciliation. And if they don't hear you and they don't hear the witness, then you bring some of the elders, you bring the leadership. And if they continue, then you make it known to the church. And there's a whole lot we could say about that, and we will when we get there, but I believe it's more you make it known to the leadership of the church what's going on rather than just even among the whole church splatter it out unless it's something that's going to bring damage to the whole church. You see, even, even as the body of Christ, we need to be careful on how we deal with issues when there's wrong that's done within the body of Christ because we want to leave a door open for reconciliation. 
And if it's just splattered all over, many times reconciliation and restoration become a very difficult thing. You need to deal with the problem. But there's right ways and there's wrong ways to do that. He says, you're bringing each other to law. And yet, don't you realize that the saints are going to judge the world? Then down in verse 8, he says, you yourselves, you're doing wrong and you're cheating and, and you're doing these things to your brethren. Can you imagine that with, within the body of believers? Somebody that wants to do work for someone and so, you know, they, they, they get paid from someone and then they don't do the work. Hey, wait a minute, you're, you're my brother. You, you said that you would do this and I gave you the money. Well, I'm sorry, you can't do it. Then give the money back. Cheating and lying to each other. Again, that whole idea of how we ought to be living together, how we ought to be living our lives together as an encouragement to each other, not in cheating and wronging each other. And when something wrong or someone does cheat, then, hey, let's deal with this thing. Don't let it blow. You know, and, and again, I'm just me talking to you guys. You, you don't need to tell everybody about this, but you know that there are people in the past, I don't know of anybody right now, but there are people in the past who used to go here that don't go anymore and would go and say, hey, we've missed you. Where have you been? Well, as long as so-and-so goes to your church, I can't go to your church. That's, that's serious. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You're allowing somebody else to direct you rather than the Spirit of God to direct you. You see, that, that, man, that's not the Spirit of Christ. In the midst of all that Paul's writing, there's also areas that we're going to see that it seems like he's answering questions that they had written to him or that some had shared, you know, questions that they had, and we're going to be dealing with those things. There's also areas that we're going to be dealing very heavily with as we go through this book. So in chapter 7, he starts dealing about unfaithfulness and, and brokenness in, in marriage vows and relationships. And again, in, in speaking of uh, the, the purity of the vows, the, the commitment and the depth of the vows, and I understand. I mean, I, I'm not ignorant of, of the fact. I'm not a newbie of the fact that uh, m- many of you, you, this might be your second marriage or your third marriage and, or more. I don't know. But uh, I understand that. But I also know what God's Word says and what God's Word calls to be for us. And so do we discount the Word or do we look and say, you know, man, I messed up so bad. But Lord, I, I want my life to be right now. I don't, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna be one who, again, well, I'm just saved by grace, so that doesn't matter. Yeah, it does matter. And, and most of you that have been married more than once, you're already carrying enough luggage and enough scars and enough you know, things that drag you down. I understand that. And so this isn't going to be for beating you up, but it's for all of us to understand. No, there, there's a reason, there's a purpose why God said that for this reason a man shall leave his mother and his father and they shall become one flesh. And that whole idea of one flesh is for life, that marriage is for life. 
We're going to be looking at those things because even in the Corinthian church, the, the, the vows that they were taking, they weren't taking them very seriously. Some of them were having sexual relationships prior to marriage. That's, that's fornication. And I want to let you know tonight, and I don't, you know, we don't check your marriage certificate when you come into the door, okay? So uh, if you're living together tonight and you're not married, you know, that's wrong, okay? I just want to let you know, according to God's word, that's wrong. You need to get that right before God. You don't need to confess it to me. No, get it right before God. But others having relationships before they're married and others breaking their vows and having relationships outside of their marriage, committing adultery while they're married. And again, taking what they think to be an easy road out by just giving a writ of divorce and saying, well, I'll just start all over again. And those of you that know that course, you've run that course, you know that's not an easy course. You know there's a lot of difficulty in that. Many within that church also, they were misusing and abusing their liberties in Christ. And again, since it wasn't by works that they were saved, they Many of them, unfortunately, felt that they could and should do anything that they wanted to. Well, hey, I'm completely free. It's just by grace I can do anything I want. Paul deals with that. Man, I, I can, yeah, I can do these things, but it's not expedient. It's not good for me. Actually, he takes chapter 8, 9, and 10 dealing with those kinds of things. How we ought to be sensitive to younger brothers and sisters in the faith. And that, again, uh, uh, that our freedom in Christ should never trump the scruples or the, the feelings of others. Hey, I'm free in Christ. I can do anything I want. Well, yeah, but you're causing me to stumble. Ah, well, get over it. No, you know, we need to be caring for one another enough that way. For the church in Corinth, it seemed like selfishness ruled over self-denial. When in reality, if I remember the gospel correctly, and you guys help me out if I'm wrong here, But Jesus said, if I remember correctly, that we're to deny self. Deny self. I believe it was Jesus that also said something about, you know, dying daily to self. I believe that it was Jesus that also told his disciples that you ought to be serving one another. You see, and if that's the way you and I ought to be as believers, then again, my selfishness should not overrule what's going on in your life. I ought to be one who lives my life in a way that's going to, again, encourage and lift you up, each one of us as believers together. There was also this strong misunderstanding and and a a strong uh, misuse and abuse of the Lord's Supper. Now, he he deals with head coverings in here, and we're going to touch on that when we uh, get there uh, about that, but... He also, in chapter 11, he, he deals with the Lord's Supper. And they didn't understand, again, caring for each other more than themselves. So, oh, here, here's my chance. And they, and they would have their, their Lord's Supper was, what, wasn't in nice little silver trays and little bitty drink cups of Welch's juice. No, it was, it was a time that they would come together, that they would fellowship together, there'd be a meal together. And then, after they had that meal together, they would break bread and have that time. And uh, Paul goes into the whole situation of them coming together even during this, these meal times. Because you see, they had, they'd even mess that up. How can you mess up fellowship? You know, and yet they had messed up that. They seemed to flourish in spiritual gifts. They seemed to have all kinds of spiritual gifts, and yet 
they were messing them up too. They misused them, and they were actually using them to, to show some spiritual superiority over, oh, is that your gift? That's a nice little gift. Let me tell you what my gift is. <laughs> and then there'd be this grand you know, demonstration of my gift over your petty little gift. So God must love me. He's using me more than he's using you because of the greatness of my gift. And yet Paul comes to them, and, and again, he takes three chapters in dealing with that. Chapter 12, 13, and 14, just dealing with spiritual gifts. Because they had messed it up so bad. Their worship service seemed to be a free-for-all, without form, without order. All in the name of being spirit-led. We see that in chapter 14. We'll go into that in depth. There also seemed to be some confusion, really, about the fullness of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. In chapter 15, he talks about that. He talks about the importance in the life of the church, of the truth of the gospel. There seemed to be confusion even for the church about the necessity of the resurrection. Let me just give you a, a preview here right now. Without the resurrection, we ought to just close the door and go home, okay? That's, that's, that's how important the resurrection is for our faith and for our eternity. Without the resurrection, Paul says, we are of all men most pitiable. We're, we're just playing a game. We might as well be, uh, you know, Hare Krishna or something else because it just won't matter without the resurrection. And yet some within the Corinth church were saying, well, it's not all that important. I can't really believe somebody dead would come to life. Do you realize that within the church, quote unquote, let me use big air brackets at this, within the church today, there's so many things that are so important to the truth of the gospel that yet within pulpits today, within what is called the Christian church of today, that they're saying, well, that's not really important. That really didn't happen. No, that's not true. No, Jesus didn't really say that. And they've cut and they've sliced and they've diced and they've diluted and they've made the word of God like a, like a hunk of Swiss cheese so that they've done away with the supernatural. They've done away with the miraculous. They've done away with those things that they can't explain. And they say, there's the gospel. And no, it's not. Because they've taken the supernatural, they've taken the power out of the gospel. We can't do that. And many were leading many astray because of the false doctrines that they were teaching. And beloved, that's happening all over right now. Right now. I was talking to somebody uh, just this week who was listening to my the radio program that was on Romans, and I believe just the other day I, I called out some names of, and some quotes from some of the radio and television preachers of today and some of the false doctrines that they're teaching. He came by and he says, I need to get a copy of that CD because I've been listening to those guys. I didn't realize all that was wrong. I thought, praise God, praise God, because there's so much false doctrine out there, and people just fall into it, and they fall into it. People are being led literally either to a powerless Christian life because they're listening to lies or they're being led away from the truth of the gospel because of the lies that are being preached and proclaimed. As we begin looking at the church in Corinth, we're going to see that Paul lays out very plainly all the warts, okay, all the scars, and it's just kind of laid out there for the whole world to see over the last 2,000 years. Now, let me ask you this real quick. 
Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. How would you like it if we, you know, just posted out there all the warts and all the scars of what's going on within our body at any one point in time? And then to know that for 2,000 years it's been displayed. Well, the great thing about all that is, number one, we realize it was a real church made up of real people just like you and I that, that stumble and fall and do the stupid things every once in a while. And every once in a while need correction and instruction to get back on the right road. We know that it was a real church. But the other thing, because of Paul's love for them, in spite of all of their failures, he demonstrates really the love of Christ for you and I today. That Christ, even in the midst of all of our mess-ups, he continues to work with us. Instead of writing the church of Corinth off and say, well, man, that was a mistake. I'm not going back there anymore. No, he cared about them enough to go back to them a couple of more times, write not only that first letter, but then 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He cared about them enough to try and get them wrangled around and going toward the right direction. Paul takes great care just patiently lay out the correct answers to their questions, to give a godly response to their inappropriate actions, and to give a clear path of what life in the Spirit is really like. How you and I, just as the church in Corinth, need to be living our lives moment by moment of every day. Not just on Saturdays or Sundays or Wednesdays, but moment by moment of every day to the glory and to the honor of Christ. And we need to be that light in a dark and a perverse world that we live in. The world we live in today, it's not much different than the first century. The problems faced by the church there in Corinth very similar to the problems we face here in the 21st century. They could walk out of their homes there in Corinth, or even they could walk out of the church meeting in Corinth. And right there, see a temple prostitute ready to cast her wares for whoever. The art, uh, the, the, the sculptures, all of these things was drawn there. The wickedness of cheating and, and, and shortchanging and, and lies and, and all of these things. It was everywhere, there, just as it is today. As I said before, Solomon declared there's nothing new under the sun. The human nature, outside of the Spirit of Christ, is drawn automatically to darkness. It's like a, it's like a magnet. But in and through the Spirit of Christ, we're drawn into the light by the power of the Spirit of Christ working within you and I, we grow to that point toward no longer is there pleasure in the darkness, or at least we realize that pleasure is only for a very short season with great consequences to it. And so, as we draw closer to Christ, the things of this world become less and less. People say, I'm struggling in my life, I'm struggling in my walk with the Lord. I'm struggling in, in staying faithful to the Lord. I'm struggling. I keep falling back into the old sin. You know, the response to that is, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful grace. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Keeping our eyes and our hearts and our minds focused on Christ. The greatest problems we have with the flesh 
is when we get our eyes off of Jesus. As we conclude our time here today on The Open Word, we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 1 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us again on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the open word with you on the go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching the open word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical-based teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at theopenword.com, be sure to click on about for information about the ministry of the open word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is theopenword.com. That's all the time we have for today here on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a blessed day.